Life is a series of choices based on convictions. Choices based on convictions. George Gallup was, uh, he attended the University of Iowa, later was the head of journalism at Drake University, at, then at Northwestern University, and then on to the Ivy Leagues and Columbia University. George Gallup is best known for the Gallup Poll. He's best known for his polling method, figuring out the information about Americans and their, uh, their opinions and and uh, what's true among us. Since 1936, the Gallup poll has been pretty accurate. Well, a while back, the Gallup poll stated that only 10% of Americans are deeply committed Christians. 10%. Now, there's a lot larger percentage that say they're Christians, about 40%. A lot more than that go to church. About 40% go to church and 40% go to Sunday school. But only 10% are deeply committed and have a faith that makes a difference. 10%. So if we're the average church, 1 through 10, count off, only one of you has a faith that really matters. This morning, we're going to begin looking at the story of a 17-year-old young man. 17. His faith made a difference. His name's Daniel. Beginning this morning, we're going to start going through a sermon series, chapter by chapter, through the book of Daniel, entitled Ancient of Days. It's a fascinating story. It applies very much to what we're going through in 2022. In fact, many of you have been studying Daniel in your Sunday school classes, and you're a few weeks ahead of us. I've had Sunday school teachers say, Pastor, why, why don't you do this first before I taught the class? But, but we're coming along behind you. We're looking at Revelation on Wednesday night and Daniel on Sunday morning, putting them together, and you're going to see some fascinating things. And our story begins, chapter 1 of Daniel, with the word Committed. Committed. Read with me verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of of the eunuchs. Let's begin our story. Letter A on your outline, life changes, verses 1 to 7. About 2,600 years ago, Babylon was the world's greatest power. Second greatest was Egypt, so they fought back and forth. The year 605, at a little river called Carchemish, Babylon defeated the Egyptians in what was, became known as the Battle of Carchemish, and they took over the known world, the power of it. Going back after the battle was over, they're traveling back to Babylon, and they cross the nation of Israel, God's people. 
During the battle, Israel had sided with the Egyptians. So the Babylonians on their way back through wanted to teach them a little lesson and King Nebuchadnezzar, the leader of the Babylonians, swung through Israel and leveled everything in the country. The buildings, the land, charred rubble everywhere. The land was useless to grow anything. The, the Jerusalem was destroyed, building upon building just in rubble. God's beautiful temple in rubble. The word Nebuchadnezzar means Nebu protects the crown. Nebu was one of nine Babylonian gods that they worshipped. Nebu was the god of wisdom. So his own name, Nebu protects the crown. And they thought that as long as they were honoring those gods, that he would give them power. They would give him power. And so, from the year 587, they started to then to, to just raise the country of Israel, burn, pillage, destroy it. And in the middle of doing that, Nebuchadnezzar's dad died back in Babylon, 500 miles away. So he stopped the siege. He went back to take care of his father who passed away 500 miles. By the way, he traveled 500 miles in two weeks. That's pretty fast for that day and time. Made it back there, took care of his dad after he died, went back to Israel to finish the job in the year 586. So as you see in history that, that Israel fell in the year 587-586, and the reason is Nebuchadnezzar's dad died. Came back, finished destroying the land, but God had predicted it would happen. He told the prophets, speak to my people and tell them they've turned away from me and because of that, I'm going to have someone else come in and level their land. It happened. Well, as Nebuchadnezzar had done this, what do you do with the people of Israel? Well, he did three things. He killed some of them. Killed a lot of them. Killed a lot of the Jews right there in their home country. But the very oldest, he just left them there. I mean, there's nothing to, they're, they're old, they're about to die. They don't, they don't have any kind of life. There's not any food. Just, he left them there to die. But a third group, the youngest, ages 18, or rather 13 to 17, 13 to 17 boys that were sharp, smart, handsome, strong, he, he took them back to Babylon to train to serve in his, on his staff. Pretty smart, if you think about it. Number one, he's got the brightest and sharpest of the land to run his kingdom. But second of all, those captured people that you took back with you, you have some of their own in leadership, and they're less likely to revolt against you as your subjects because some of your own's in the leadership. Pretty smart. So he gathered up some of the young Hebrew boys, 13 to 17, that were the smartest and the sharpest and the best looking, and he took them back to, to Babylon with him. And the Bible tells us in verse 2 that they were taken to the land of Shinar. Why was Babylon called the land of Shinar in verse 2? Because the word Shinar means hostile to God. Hostile to faith. 
So God was saying they were taken from a land where everything that was good, they loved me, and taken to a land uprooted, taken to a land where everything is hostile to God. Folks, you are in the land of Shinar right now. We have been taken from a land where the leave it to beaver days, everything's wonderful, everybody goes to church, everybody loves God, and we've been taken out of those days into our current culture, and we are now in Shinar where everything's hostile to your faith. You want to live for Jesus? If you want to go by the Word, you have a battle. You are living in Shinar. And that's where those four boys were. Four Hebrew young men. That's where Daniel picks up. They're taken to Shinar. Once they got to Shinar, King Nebuchadnezzar placed the four boys under the control of one of his assistants by the name of Ashpenaz. So Ashpenaz is now over the four boys. Just as a side note, in the Bible, whenever you named a child, you either named it, the child, what you wanted them to become, a characteristic, or you named them after what they looked like when they were born. Esau, for example, was named Red. He was reddish when he was born. Ashpenaz means horse nose. I don't know what that baby looked like. But I know what his parents named him. Old horse nose. So he's in control of the four Hebrew boys, 13 to 17 years old. They're good looking. The boys are strong. The boys have no blemish. The boys are smart. They're quick learners. And those are the four our story picks up. So they get to Shinar, get to Babylon. Number one, indoctrination, operation, assimilation begins. Get these boys good Babylonians. Get the God of Israel out of them and get the gods of Babylon into them. Get the land of Israel out of them. Get Babylon into them. So they became indoctrinated. Babylonian culture, Babylonian language, Babylonian education, the arts, astrology. They loved astrology. By the, way, by the way, do you remember when Jesus was born, astrologers came from the east? This was the region they came from. They loved astrology. So these boys were indoctrinated. The language, the arts, the literature... Everything. The goal was to make them lose their Hebrew identity and get rid of that Yahweh God. We don't want him even mentioned. You're to be a Babylonian now. You're to be one of us. And folks, our culture today, Shinar, tries to remove every spiritual heritage we have. They try to take the Bible out of schools and out of public square. They try to take prayer out of schools and out of the public square. They try to take worship away as best they can, our rights away as Christians. We're in Shinar. They're trying to get every vestige of our God, Yahweh, out of us. It was the goal. 
So one of the first actions they took was to change the four boys' names. Because they were named after the God of Israel. They were named after Yahweh. And every time they called the boy's name, it was a reference to Yahweh. Let's change their names. We don't have to listen to them. So it's changed. And the first boy's name was Hananiah, which meant beloved by Yahweh. So they changed it to Shadrach, which means illumined by the sun god Shamash. Second boy's name was Mishael, which means who is like Yahweh. And they changed it to Meshach, who is like Shach, one of the Babylonian deities. Third boy's name was Azariah, which meant Yahweh is my helper. And they changed it to Abednego, meaning servant of Nego, one of the Babylonian deities. The fourth boy's name was Daniel, which meant Yahweh is my judge. And they changed it to Belshazzar, which means Bel is my prince. Bel being one of the Babylonian deities. So they changed the boys' names. But you see, the problem was they could change their name. They couldn't change their nature. They could change the culture. They couldn't change their character. So they took Yahweh, God of Israel, and they brought him with him in here. You see, the boys didn't care what they were called. That's external. They knew who they were internally. Go to letter B on your outline. Commit in advance, verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9. Before Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego left Israel, they'd made a commitment. Before they ever got to Shinar, made a commitment. God, we are going to serve you and you only. We're going by what you've told us and your commands, the word of God only. It's a commitment they made in advance. And we're told that in verse 8. Nebuchadnezzar had ordered the four boys to eat the king's food, but that would have defiled them because God had told them what food to eat, what food not to eat. So now Daniel, it says in verse 8, but Daniel resolved... He would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. He had resolved that. This commitment had come before he went to Babylon. Folks, that's an awesome lesson for us. You have to decide before culture ever tells you anything if you're going to go by God's word or not. If you have to wait until you get there to decide, you'll never be consistent. But if you decide in advance, that's where you win the victory. The victory begins in the heart. You must decide in advance. Then I want you to notice verse 9. 
Verse 8, but Daniel resolved he would not defile himself. Verse 9, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion. Once Daniel made the commitment, God enters the picture. God acted and helped Daniel after he had committed in advance. Now, I want you to notice something. Watch the screen. Notice the wording that's used. Verse 8, but Daniel resolved. The word is sum in Hebrew. It means to set in place, to fix, to designate. I'm not going against anything God said. Now go to verse 9. And God gave Daniel. The word gave is natan. It means to set, to designate, to fix. See the picture? Daniel designated and he fixed himself. This is what I believe. This is who I am. This is what God has said, standing firm. And once Daniel designated and fixed himself, then God fixed himself to help him. Once he made the commitment, God made the commitment to him. Folks, it's the same today. If you will designate in your heart, I'm not going against God's word. I'm not going against my faith. I'm going to live my faith. Once you set that in your heart, God will set in his heart to honor you. See, the problem is today that we have too few believers who have that kind of resolve. 10%. Those are situational ethics. Most believers, well, I, I, I'll wait to see what I believe. I, I, I'll wait to see what I believe about abortion. There can be circumstances I'm for it and circumstances I'm not. I, I'll just kind of have to wait and see how, what I believe. That's not the resolve. I have to wait and see what I believe about gender identity. I believe maybe people are born in a different way than who they are. I'll have to wait and see what I believe about homosexuality. I'll have to wait and see what I believe about alcohol. And all the time, it's situational ethics. You're waiting to see. Each situation determines that's not a resolve. And most Christians are in the situational ethics today. Look at George Barna. He's done a lot of research. Look at this quote. George Barna, 39% of evangelical church members are what he calls notional Christians. That means they are believers, but their own ideas, their own opinions, their own thoughts, rather than God's Word, shape their vision and values. Let me show you this again. Look, look again. 39%. They're, what they believe, shaped not by God's Word, but shaped by ideas, shaped by friends, shaped by Fox News, shaped by CNN, shaped by political parties and opinions, rather than what God has said. 39% of believers today base what they believe, not on the Bible, but on culture. But when you'll come to the place, God, this is what you said. This is what I believe. Fixing it. He will fix himself to you.
And that's what Daniel did in Shinar. Now go to letter C on your outline. Go to trial by food, verses 10 through 16. Nebuchadnezzar had assigned food to Daniel. Now they got there, they were indoctrinated into the arts and the education. Their name was changed. One of the first things Nebuchadnezzar said, he said, Ashpenaz, I, I want you to to feed these young Hebrew boys my food. Now, the food of the king was different than the food of everyone else. It was better. It was the choicest cuts of meat. It was the best wine. He wanted those that worked for him not only to be sharp and smart and strong, he wanted them to be physically the strongest. So he was going to fatten them up on the king's foods. And so he told them, you, you set my food before these four young boys so they get stronger. But the only problem was the food of the king went against God's dietary laws for his children and the law. So the four young boys had a choice to make. Do we, do we obey what God told us to eat and not to eat? Or do we eat what the king has set before us? Now, by the way, whenever the king set food before you, if you rejected it, it was equal to rejecting the king. So many times you reject his food, he cuts your head off. Okay, I'll eat it, king. Yeah, perfect. So the boys had a dilemma. Do we eat the food? Or do we go by what God said about our food? Now, in our culture, food's no big deal, right? We'd go, what's the big deal about food? Well, it's three problems with the, with the food of that day. Number one, the king's food was not kosher. Jews go by what's kosher, what God has said they can eat and cannot eat. It's all set out in the law, in Leviticus and all the way through there. Here's what you can eat and cannot eat, what you'll be clean and unclean. So, Jews even today go by that. It's known as being kosher. Can you eat it? So the king's food would not have been kosher, number one. Second of all, when you ate with someone back in those days, that meant you accepted their values. So if they ate the king's food, it would have been a way of saying, we accept your values, and they didn't. But here's the bigger problem. The third problem with the food was they had sacrificed this food to the Babylonian deities, and then they cooked it to eat. The Babylonians would get their choicest cuts of meat. They would sacrifice them to the gods, and when the worship service was over, you had this meat left, and it's good meat, so what do you do with it? You cook it and you eat it. So it had been meat sacrificed to the nine Babylonian deities. And they were going to be eating it. You would have a problem with that too. Let me give you an example. Let's imagine that a Muslim restaurant opened up in downtown Garland. And they served excellent beef. Tenderloin, ribeye, filet. And every Sunday... They offered specials. Man, you get the best choice of meats cheap. They have great vegetables. They have a lot of good stuff. And so the only problem is earlier that morning, they had sacrificed that meat to Muhammad. They cooked it for lunch. Would you go by and eat it? No. 
So these four Hebrew young men saying, we, we can't eat this food. So Daniel went to old horse nose. And he says, look, we, we can't eat this. Can't eat the king's food. What? No, we just can't. Why? What? Well, you, you have to. I mean, he's, he put you over. He put me over you. I mean, if you don't eat the food, and, and then you're starting to look puny and everything, he's going to cut my head off. He said, tell you what. I'll tell you what. Try us for 10 days. Let us eat our diet God gave us for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, you can gauge to see how we look. 10 days, Ashpenaz says. Okay, okay, 10 days. That's all. Okay, what are you going to eat? Vegetables and water for 10 days. That's all? That's it. Now, when he said vegetables, the word vegetables that's used there in the Hebrew means all plant-based foods. It, it, basically everything, he's vegetarian. They, they were vegetarians. Basically, there's no meat. Some theologians believe that the Hebrew word was used for cereal or oatmeal. So it's possible they ate oatmeal for 10 days. Drink water. Finally, Ashpenaz agrees. Okay, 10 days, then we'll see how you look. I'll take you before the king, see what he says. 10 days. Deal. So Daniel, Ashpen, or Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego start to eat God's diet all the time, probably thinking of Exodus 23, 25, where God said, if you serve me, I will bless your bread and water. Ten days ended. They went to see the king. Couple of thoughts. One thought is, notice in all of this exchange how tactful and respectful Daniel was. He followed the chain of command. He was very respectful in his request. He was not rude. He was not obnoxious. He was not demanding. He was very respectful. Sometimes we as believers in Shinar, we're very rude. We're very obnoxious about what we believe, and we're very demanding, and we're just obnoxious about it all. He was very respectful. God had placed him. Did he like it? No. But he was respectful. Here's the second thing I noticed. Daniel did not object to the name change, but he objected to the food. Daniel did not object to the education, but he objected to the food. Name change, call me what you want. I know who I am. Education, tell me what you want. I know what I believe. But when it came to disobeying the command of God, he said, nope, not do it. Difference. It was a command of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. What is there in our culture that you will object to? 
Some things, fine, I know who I am. But what is it? What is it in our culture that you say, nope, can't believe that? Not what God said. Can't do that. It's not what God said. What is it? Go to letter D on your outline. God honors those who honor him. At the end of 10 days, they went in. Vegetables and water for 10 days, and Ashpenaz welcomed them. Oh, my goodness. Look at you boys. Come see the king. And so he brought the four Hebrew teenagers, probably 17 years old now, brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and he looked at them, and the Bible said when Nebuchadnezzar saw them, they looked 10 times better than anybody else in the kingdom. 10 times better. How? You don't eat vegetables and water for 10 days and look stronger than everybody else. What happened? You can't explain it biologically. What happened? God honored their commitment. Period. Verse 17 said, God also gave them learning and skill and literature and wisdom and understanding of visions and dreams. And Nebuchadnezzar took these four boys and said, I'm exalting you over everybody else in the kingdom because you look so good. And they were immersed in Babylonian culture, literature, and education, but they were faithful to their God. He never left them. They were in Babylon. Babylon was not in them. The difference. Daniel made an impact. Served 65 years in the courts. As a prophet, as a statesman, as a civil engineer, as a government employee, and he worked for a tyrant that would cut your head off in a moment's notice. But he always respected Daniel and Daniel's God. Wow. But it all begins with the resolve. Folks, convictions matter. Priorities matter. When you lose your convictions, you lose your identity as the people of God. And you can make a difference. You can make a difference in Shinar for Christ in our culture. Because you see, our culture is always trying to reprogram you as a Christian. Always trying to reprogram you. Trying to separate you from your spiritual heritage. Trying to, to make it where you take up social causes and you become woke. Rather than obeying God's word. Try and make it where you fight for lifestyle rights rather than going for, with God's word. Rather, going, trying to make you adopt an unbiblical worldview rather than taking God's word at your, as yours. Trying to accept what public education is offering rather than teaching God's word. Accepting anti-Christian bombardment from the media rather than 
taking God's word and keeping quiet about it. Trying to reprogram us. You've got to hang on to your faith and to what he said. Or else we have nothing. Got to be in culture. Have to be here. But culture doesn't need to be in us. God blesses those who honor him. I've shared with you before the story of Eric Lytle, born in 1902, parents were missionaries to China. They were home on furlough whenever he was raised, so he went to school in Scotland where he's from originally by descent. Went to school in Scotland and then went on to the University of Edinburgh and one unique feature about Eric Lytle, he was fast. He could run. In fact, he, he ran so fast he began to win a lot of the, the races. And they used to call him the Flying Scotsman because he could run so fast. 1924 Olympics were coming up in Paris. In Scotland, they couldn't wait. I, Eric Lytle's go, he's going to win the gold medal. And back in those days, the gold medal, especially for smaller countries, Oh, that was such a source of pride and nationalism. And they loved Eric Lytle. He was their fair-haired boy. And they couldn't wait for him to run and win the gold medal for the beloved Scotland. But here's the problem. Eric Lytle was a strong believer in Jesus Christ, parents, missionaries, and he had a strong belief in God's Word. 1924 Olympics are here. He runs the 100 meters. He's the fastest in the world at 100 meters. No doubt he's going to win the gold. The schedule's all set. Getting ready, the 100 meters is going to be run on a Sunday. And Eric Lytle says, wait, 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 wait. I don't run on Sunday. That's the Lord's day. What? No, I'm not going to run. You've got to run. It's for our country. I'm not going to run. And Scotland became furious with Eric Lytle. They criticized him. Oh, they were so angry. They were so frustrated. You've got to run. I'm not running. It's on the Lord's day. He refused. Oh, he was just vilified. I'll run the 400 meters. It's on Thursday. But you're not good in the 400 meters. 100 meters, you're excellent. 400 meters, you're average. I'm running the 400 meters. It's on Thursday. And they were furious. He was not the favorite. He'd finished middle of the pack. But that's what he was going to run. And with all of his nation looking down upon him and his scorn, he held true to his beliefs. And right before he got on the starting block on Thursday to run the 400 meters, one of his trainers, who is also a strong believer, walked up and handed him a piece of paper and slipped it into his hand. He got on the starting block. He got ready to go. He got down. He opened it up. And it said, 1 Samuel 2.30 God says, He who honors me I will honor him. And he clenched it in his fist like this. Pages open. Got on the starting block. Gun sounded. 
Eric Lytle had a unique way of running. He ran with his head back and his mouth open. And he took off as fast as he could go, clenching this as tightly as he could. Not only did he finish first in the 400 meters and win the gold medal for Scotland, he set a new world record, 47.6 seconds. They hadn't broken 50 seconds very long at all before that. And he held it. I honor God. He'll honor me. And I wonder who would be like Daniel. I am resolved, committed to honor you, Shinar. He'll honor me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you today for your word. Lord, there's such a lesson for us today, especially in our culture. God, may, may we not be believers here at First Baptist Church who, who go by situational ethics. God, may we have a resolve that we're going to be yours. We're going by your word. We'll be respectful. But we'll be committed. Father, even though we're in the culture, may the culture never be in us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.